my uh, mother calls me a full blister, I'll pop at any moment. And uh, I uh, want to apologize. I get, I usually uh, wait till everybody's out of the house before I start singing on my piano at home so I can cry in private. Uh, Turn your Bibles, please, to the book of uh, Psalm 84. We apologize. We uh, have a major event happening uh, in um, Myrtle Beach this um, coming weekend, and we have to be there Thursday. And the work that goes into it is overwhelming. It's just me, Stephanie, and Lear getting ready for this thing, and we got to cook for 50 women, which uh, is going to be a feat, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a great time. All of the board members of Challenge Ministries uh, that can make it come and teach um, women how we study our Bible, so it's called Stay and Study. It's a beautiful resort in Myrtle Beach, and uh, it's for three days of intensive Bible teaching and Bible training, and the last one we had was in March, and I think we had 18 women. Now we have over 50 women um, who are coming, and um, from different parts of the world and the country. Uh, Pray for my nookie nook. My nookie nook is my granddaughter, Anna. Uh, She was playing soccer and collapsed and uh, they thought she died, uh, only to find out that she has a 16-millimeter hole in her heart, and she needs open-heart surgery. She's nine. Uh, She'll be in the hospital for the next four weeks. She'll spend her ninth birthday in the hospital. Uh, um, They live in Bermuda, but uh, they're at Boston's Children's Hospital now, so please pray for her. we wrestled over whether or not telling her at such an early age what was happening. Um, they had planned for the surgery to be two weeks from now, but when the, the uh, cardiologist looked at her heart in Boston, he said, we cannot wait any longer. We have to start operating now. So please keep her in your prayer. Her name is Anna Carr. And um, uh, Stephanie, um, the way Stephanie sold me uh, to, get, to marry her. Well, she, I said, asked her, what did she want? She said, I, wanted fi- I want five sons. And I said, you're the one God wants me to marry. Uh, I always wanted boys. And then Anna was my first. I have three adopted sons, and my oldest boy is Andre. Uh, when Anna was born, I lost my mind. She had me wrapped around every one of her fingers. And uh, so you can keep the boys. I want the girls. Psalm 84, Psalm 84, I want to apologize because I'm going to read the whole thing, but we're not going to focus in on everything. I just want to highlight some things and then talk to you about something. Um, I had the the unique pleasure of being with the whole Roberts family two weeks ago at uh, Justin's wedding, and uh, uh, I uh, shared an aspect of this passage uh, at uh, the church there, Emmanuel. Was Emmanuel? It was Emmanuel, yeah. Um, and um, I've been studying this 
particular psalm for the last eight or nine years. And um, uh, each time I look at it, it amazes me what I see. So I want to share it with you. It's a pilgrim psalm. And remember, um, we're not going to go through it in scripture. Three times a year, according to uh, Deuteronomy 16 and, and Exodus 23, God demanded that the men, the males of uh, Israel, would sojourn. They would pilgrim. They would walk back to Jerusalem. So no matter where they were in the whole of Israel, God demanded that the males, uh, the 13 and older, would walk to Jerusalem to worship there, whether it was the tent of tabernacle or the, the temple. Um, they had to walk there three times a year. It was, the first was Passover, which was the beginning of the year. The second was Pentecost, which was uh, 50 days later. And um, then there was the Feast of Tabernacles, and that was the Feast of Booze. And uh, psalms were written for them. The, the, the heart of the men of God would write songs, so as they sojourned, they would think of the Lord along the way. And the psalms that were written were Psalms 24, 80, 81, and 84 to celebrate the ascent up into um, the court of the Lord. Um, the Passover uh, feast was because God had passed over Israel and wiped out the Egyptians, the firstborn of the Egyptians. The interesting thing is that the Pentecost, penta meaning five or for 50 in its full sense, uh, 50 days later, after they had left Egypt, God gave the law, gave the Ten Commandments, started a new relationship. It is the essence, it is the subtotal, the, the plan that God had for his people Israel, and he gave the law. And it was to start a new dispensation, no longer the dispensation of the dispensation of human government with patriarchal rule, but God was going to rule a nation. And this nation was going to be peculiar. It was going to be different. It was going to be holy uh, from all other nations, separate, other than, counterculture to the rest of the world. Isn't it strange that in the Passover of Passover, the Sabbath of Sabbaths, Thousands of years later to the day, Jesus would die in the meat, the meat in, the, in, the, in the center of the Passover remembrance because he died the morning or the day before Passover. He was buried and fulfilled the sacrifice of the Passover before Sabbath, the Sabbath, I'm sorry, the, the Sabbath day started. No longer lambs could be sacrificed. In its Jewish history, you don't, we're not making this up, that on the day that Jesus died, the veil was rent from top to bottom, ending the dispensation of law and ushering in the dispensation of grace. And amazingly, 50 days later, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, a new nation was born with a new covenant a new dispensation with a new relationship, a peculiar people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, 
that they would not be under the strict adherence of the law that the best thing the law could produce was mercy, but under the wonderful righteousness of grace. See, the law brought forth the truth that man cannot live without God. But grace brought in that man must live with him. And the timing was perfect. 50 days after deliverance, Pentecost, a new law. And this is the law that Jesus gave. He says that you're going to love each other just as I've loved you. Before, I could not love you. So that's why I had to have a bunch of laws say, I'd act right or else I'll get you. But now I can love you. I can love you as Christ loves you. So this particular psalm, follow with me. Uh, I got five points. I'm going to rush through them as quickly as I can. I hope we can get you out in 25 minutes. Uh, it says this, how amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. Well, that tells us two things. First of all, that this psalm was written for the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Ingatherings. And its timing was right about now, about two weeks from now, is going to be the Feast of Tabernacles. It's close to our Thanksgiving. Uh, because that's what it was about, about giving thanks. And it says, how amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. You need to understand that and underline that because that is Jehovah Sabaoth, the God who protects. And as these men are going on their way, God promised that he would send his angel before him in whom that angel would have his name and he would protect them along the way from the robber, from the adversary, from the thief, from the murderer. And so he says this, I'm with the Lord of hosts. Who can bother me? Verse number two. My song so longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cried out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house and a swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, here it is again, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that be, dwell in thy house. They will still be dwelling or praising thee. Selah. So this psalm was written after the temple was built, okay? So this is the temple that we're talking about, not a synod, but the temple. And that phrase there, Selah, is a command and an instruction. It means pause, consider what you have read, and base your life on what was just said. Verse number five, blessed is the man in whose, uh, in the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca, maketh it a well. Now that's one of the places we'll be stopping. The rain also fills the pool. They go from strength to strength. And like I said, we are pilgrims. We are pilgrims. And it is absolutely, absolutely essential that pilgrims make progress. Remember, a vagabond has no home. A rebel hates home. A fugitive is running from home. A stranger is away from home. But a pilgrim is going home. So the Bible calls us pilgrims and strangers, okay? We are in a hostile situation. We are behind enemy lines. This is not our home. This is not our territory. This is our assignment. We're to be fifth columnists people who look like the indigenous populace but have another government that they serve and all the things that they do are to gather information on how to bring about the present reigning government under the subjection and rule of the government that we serve. 
So that's why we are not citizens of this earth. Jesus said, if my citizens are, if my kingdom was of this world, then would my servants fight. But I have a different kingdom. So he says, as pilgrims make progress, we go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, you need to underline that again. Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Now, you'll know in biblical parallelism, when you see um, the two phrases, God of Jacob, God of Israel, you know, both of those are usually used together. Israel is talking about the people. When he says Jacob, he's talking about the relationship with the people. Although God gave Jacob the name Israel, he specifies and said, I'm still your personal God. And that's why after that, he says the phrase, Selah, pause, think about it, just your life accordingly. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord God will give grace and glory. Always remember what starts with grace ends with glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Here it is again. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusted in thee. So the pilgrim's progress is four steps. Here, right there in verse number seven, they go from strength to strength. That's your first step. That's not going to be found in the fruit of the Spirit. That's not going to be found anywhere else in Scripture. They go from strength to strength. Then the next thing it says in verse number 11, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord God will give grace. Remember what the Bible says in, in, um, in John chapter 1, verse 16. It says, uh, for the law came by Moses, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, and grace for grace. That means that there is a transition period happening for you, believer. You are going from grace to grace. And if I had time, I'd, I'd tell you what that was, but that's not our subject for the day. And then the next thing it says is uh, the Lord God will give grace and the Lord God will give glory. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. Now the Lord is that spirit and with the spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Sometimes glory is the effulgence of God's presence. Sometimes, like in the Old Testament, glory is the weight of God's responsibility. So he says, I will not share my glory with another. Sometimes glory, the excellent glory, is the Father himself. Sometimes glory is the person Jesus. He's the brightness of his glory. And sometimes glory is a place. We're going to glory. So we go from glory to glory. And then lastly, he says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. And that's the word there in the Septuagint, the word pistis. We go from faith to faith. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here are your steps, pilgrim. We go from strength to strength. We go from grace to grace, glory to glory, and from faith to faith. So how do we do that? We, we, we make progress. Now, the way we make progress is that God has determined that our sojourn would not be through the well-watered plains, not through the, the fabulous uh, um, locations of, of, of Caesarea. It's not... The fields of Zoan, the Bible says, it was like the garden of God. It's not even the desert. It's the valley. The valley. There are 
five valleys in the Pilgrim's Progress, and that's what we're going to look at. And I've got this triple alliterated, so if you miss them, you just got to buy the CD, okay? Um, let's pray. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to look in your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the power of your word and what it means to us. Please, Lord, empower us so that we might communicate effectively. Let everything we say honor you as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 15. Joshua chapter 15. Now, God had told Israel that uh, the battle was the Lord's and that you shall not touch the what? During this, when we're talking about Jericho, he said, you should not touch what? The accursed thing. If you touch the accursed thing, it shall trouble you. Well, the word trouble is the Hebrew word Achan. And its derivatives, Acacia and Achor. Now, God says, don't touch the accursed thing because it will Achan you. And there was a fella in Israel named and guess what he did? He touched the accursed thing. God, in his pre-foreknowledge, decided to make a Hebrew word based on a fella who he knew was going to sin. In other words, what was he saying? Achan, I'm talking to you. You, okay? I'm going to use your name, Achan. Don't Achan. Achan. All right? And that's exactly what Achan did. In Joshua chapter 15, notice what happens here. Joshua chapter 15, God describes it uh, in the, the walk with Israel and what they're doing. And it says in verse number 7 this. This is Joshua 15, 7. It says, we'll start at, at verse number um, 6. And the border went up to Beth Lagah, and passed along the north of Bethorabah, and the border went up to Stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. And those are all important places when you get a chance to go back and look at them. And the border went up to, upward to Debor, the valley of Achor. And that's it. That word Achor means the valley of trouble. And so northward, looking toward Gilgal, which is, uh, is before the going up to Abdullam, which is on the south side of the river and the border pressed toward the waters of Enshemesh and the goings out thereof of Ingorel. And he said, what does all that mean? This is the very place, the very valley where Saul will chase David. The valley of trouble. The valley of trouble. By the way, it's also the opening door to a Nephilim place called Ephesh Dedham. Anybody know what Ephesh Dedham was? If you read 1 Samuel 17, it's where David had his encounter with Goliath. Remember, they were pitched on one side of the mountain and there was a valley between them? That's the opening door. And it has a more common name now. It's called the Valley of Armageddon. It's the Valley of Trouble. Part of your pilgrimage, saint, is to go through the valley of trouble. It is there you learn that your fight 
is not with the armies of Israel or with the armies of this world or with the armies of Satan. Your fight is with your own flesh. God looked Achan right in the face and said, don't. No, don't. I'm talking to you. Don't. I'm, I'm calling you out by name. Don't. It's here we have to face and fight our own flesh. I'm in the ring against myself. And that's what renouncing sin is, to take sides with God against yourself. Because here, it is God demands the glory. God says, listen, if you give me all the credit, I'll give you all the blessing. All I do is give spiritual blessing. But I demand the credit. Here, God must get the glory. It is here when God says, don't touch the accursed thing. I don't accept anything from the accursed thing. This thing is of the flesh. These people are of the flesh. I'm I'm renouncing. Nothing that they do, nothing that they have, nothing that they say is of any worth to me. Don't incorporate this in your life. It is absolutely repulsive to me. It's so much so that I'm willing to kill anybody who touches it. Here is where in this valley, your personal struggles come to fore. What you're dealing with. What you have the propensity to do. And that's why accountability is so important. Accountability does not tell you all the things I've done. It's telling you all the things I'm capable of. So you pray before I start. Pray that you enter not into temptation. That's what this Bible is saying, that the temptation is part of that valley thing. You get there and you think, what should I do? Listen, this valley is a sojourn and you have to go through it, but you don't have to be conquered by it. So beware the valley of trouble. It's about God's glory. And it's about you losing the fight and God getting it, the victory. So there, that's where we deal with our troubles. I have a friend in Detroit. His father was one of the elders of a church there. And uh, his father died uh, a miserable death. He was an elder of a church for 37 years. In the last seven years of his life, he had turned to male prostitution. He had uh, become a coke addict and alcoholic. He estranged himself from his family for uh, months at a time. He abandoned his church. And when he did resurface, he was full-blown AIDS and he was going to die at his funeral um, his son gave the eulogy and the first words out of his mouth was this when my father the Lord called my father into ministry in 1980 Satan hit him with everything he had and I don't think my father won even one battle the valley of trouble is about you and what you're going to do with this person called me. Well, you don't have to go far. Look at the next verse. There we see the valley of terror. In verse number eight, it says this, and the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnon, 
uh, upon the south side of the Jebusite, the same is Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem is the Je great Jebusite fortress was there, and they had to tear down that great Jebusite fortress. And the border went up to the top, the mountain which lieth before the valley of Hinnon westward, which is at the end of the valley of what? Giants. The valley of giants. Okay, let's look at this. You remember the history of this. Turn back to Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. And uh, Moses sent how many spies? Twelve. Twelve spies to go see if God really kept his promise, which was the dumbest thing in leadership you can ever do. And look at what he says in verse number 13. Now, this is the narrative that Caleb gives. Uh, Caleb is one of my favorite Old Testament characters. And it says, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land, though we have seen, we have gone through it, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which uh, come of the giants and were of our own sight as grasshoppers. And so were we in their sight. Uh, Archaeological digs and records of that time said that the largest of the group of Nephilim was of the lineage of Anak. The man Anak himself was supposed to have a shoulder span of 120 inches. Now, my shoulder span is 70 inches, so twice my shoulder span. And it is estimated that the sons of Anak averaged between 38 and 45 feet tall. I have a question for you. Who's bigger? The sons of Anak or the sons of God? Thought I was going to say God, right? But who's bigger? The sons of Anak or the sons of God? Well, it's simple. The sons of God. You know why? The last word. God. 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 In the valley of terror, there's something between you and your goal. Between them and getting to Jerusalem was giants. There are things that are obstacles in your life that are humongous. But they're not bigger than God. The waves may be over your head, but they're still under his feet. And some of us are afraid to do God's work, do God's work, God's will, do God's work, God's will, God's way. Because there are big obstacles so what? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Part of your sojourn, pilgrim, is to encounter that, in that fact so that you'll see how great God is. Here, we see not just God's glory, we see God's greatness. 
God is going to send a bunch of small statured ex-slaves to a walled fortress called Jericho and make them make the greatest military charge ever. They're going to walk around the city seven times. And the walls, as the song says, came tumbling down. Because the battle is always the Lord's. God wants to show off. And in the valley of giants, what better place? You know what he's going to do? He's going to take a pebble and knock a guy down who's 22 feet high. That's what God does. He loves proving how great a God he is. We're grasshoppers in our own sight. Really? You know what God did with some locusts in Egypt? In the valley of trouble, it's about personal struggles. But in the valley of terror, it's proving our strength. My strength is in the Lord. Okay, let's look at the next valley. Turn to Psalm 84 again. And um, we just read that, Psalm 84. And it says in verse number six, who passing through the valley of Baca maketh it a well. The rain filleth the pools. The word Baca means tears. It's the valley of tears. In the valley of tears, there are, there, there are persistent storms. Sometimes there's there, there, there wind storms, sometimes there are rainstorms. The Bible says God sent hot thunderbolts. And, this, and the valley of Baca was a place where you got to, you just despaired because you were in the middle of nowhere, right in the seat of, of absolute desolation. But it's a wonderful place because God makes this place, this, this, this arid, dry hole in the ground, he makes it a resort. That's what only God can do. The Bible says that he can take dry, dry ground in Psalm 107 and make it a water hole. And he can make a marsh into a lush green land because that's what God does. Here is where God is showing his goodness. God is showing how good he is to you. Only God can, can do what God can do. Do you know what tears are? Follow me. You read it in Psalm 30, verse 7, and read it in Psalm 106, verse 5. Tears are the seeds of joy. Weeping may endure for a night, but they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Bring his sheaves with him. If you haven't had, you don't have any joy in your life, you haven't cried yet. You haven't cried. The seeds of joy is tears. He that goeth forth bearing precious seed, weeping, shall doubtless come again. Shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheep. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. You know, Jesus says, you shall have sorrow, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. It's in the valley of Baca you get your song. That's where you get your song. In the valley of Baca, 
when everything else is falling apart. You know why? Because the God that loves you is about to do what only God can do, and that's a miracle. So yes, part of our pilgrimage is pain. Part of our pilgrimage is sorrow. Part of our pilgrimage is tears. But he says, I'm going to turn your sorrow into joy. He says, we weep not as others that have no hope. That's why Jesus was so confused in the, in the graveyard. He says, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She's crying. And Jesus says, this isn't the crying part. Cross was the crying part. The cross is over. The grave is empty. Now it's time for joy. In the valley of tears, God is, he's showing what it really means. He's showing what all this really means. You know, we go through this thing and we get laughed at and we get ridiculed and we get maligned and we get persecuted and we get killed. And you know, the, it's easy for the Christian heart to say, are you really there, God? Are you, are you, are you really? what's going on? And God says, just hold on. You're going to cry tonight, but there'll be joy in the morning. There'll be joy. And, and, and don't make any mistake. If you're a pilgrim and you're making progress, this is part of it. This is part of it. Sometimes you cry all night long and cry all night long and cry all night long. Sometimes it seems like there's no sunshine in your life. And God says, that's okay. All right, I promise you, a sun and a shield, grace and glory. It's part of, part of, part of the walk. So don't give up just because tears are there. That's why we, we don't sorrow long when one of our loved ones dies. Because we have this wonderful promise, Psalm 116, 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord, the death of his saints. You know, there's going to be no more tears in heaven. It's a place of joy, absolute joy. So stop going to psychiatrists and stop popping the pills and leave the liquor bottle alone and look up because your redemption is drawing nigh. This is the place where God proves his goodness to us. Here's the next valley. Turn to Psalm 23. You might have heard of this one. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of I will fear no evil. Here, it's where we learn to face our fears. Here we face our fears. And I would say that probably the greatest specter that haunts us is the fear of death. And what this is saying is that death is out there on both sides. But how, somebody tell me just briefly in your scientific regimen, how is a shadow produced? By the sun. By the sun. You can't have a shadow unless the sun is there. And what's the wonderful thing about this one? Is the sun is walking with you. And the shadow then is being cast to the other side, not on your side. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't fear any evil. You know why? Because the Lord God is the sun. Unto them that fear my name will the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. 
I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Here we see God's grace. God's amazing grace. And, and that's where we face our faith. I want you to see something. Um, turn to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. And we're just going to look at, you know the story of Job, how the God and, and Satan had a confab and Satan was snapping his suspenders and thinking about all he, the glory he had in the world. And God has a way of humbling you, doesn't he? And the way he humbled Satan was with one word, Job. Three-letter word, Job. Satan, all of a sudden, had a temper tantrum. All of a sudden, he goes into depression. I, you, I want to, you, and because if you let, I would you give him to me. God says, you got him. You can have him. And he, he's going to curse you. Okay, Satan, go ahead. Notice something. It says in verse number 13, and at the end of verse 12 is that Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. All right? Um, you should make a list, a study of every time somebody leaves the presence of the Lord. But it says, and there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And uh, there came a messenger on us, Job, and said, the oxen were plowing, the asses were feeding beside them. In other words, you were making money. We were depositing dough in the bank. And the Sebians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain thy servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell them. While he was yet speaking, while he was yet speaking, there came another also and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and have burned up the sheep and, the, and thy servants and consumed them, and I, only I, am alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, I would have stopped answering the doorbell. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and carried them away. Yea, slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only have escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, all right, I would have went to the door with a shotgun this time. Another came. Also, thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I, alone am, uh, I only am alone to tell thee. And Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell upon the ground, and worshipped. He didn't complain. He lost his flock, his fold, his finances, his family. And he prepared himself so that before his God, he would be as humble and contrite as possible. And then he fell. And in the Bible context of worship, you don't kneel down. You fall down. And he worshiped. And notice what he says, you know it. Joseph, he said, naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked I shall return thither. The Lord gave, and notice the same phrase, and the same God, the same God, the Lord hath taken away. And what is my answer? What is my rebut? Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what's supposed to happen in the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
That's part of your pilgrimage, pilgrim. You're never conscripted by God to have a bad day. Why not? Because his mercies are new every morning. His compassions are new every morning. Blessed be the Lord God who daily loads us up with benefits. How would you like to have all of this happen to you and you don't have a God who loves you? That's why I don't backslide. I want the benefits of a God who loves me. I wouldn't be an unbeliever for anything in the world. I Without Christ, that's what I tell people all the time. Heaven is not what I preach. Hell is not what I preach. Jesus is what I preach. I've got Jesus. I got, you know, when, when, when Miami got LeBron James, they, they closed the airport, and, and there's people all over the place, thousands of people with signs saying, we got LeBron, we got LeBron. We should be jumping around every place in the world saying, we got Jesus, we got Jesus. And that's proven in the valley of the shadow of death. You've got to face your fears there. Because they're all answered in his presence. That will show me that path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And your right hand pleasures forevermore. And here's the last valley. The valley of Barakah. I love this one. Turn to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. You'll know it's Second Chronicles because it's the clean part of your Bible that you never read. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And in verse number 24, it says this, And Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, and they looked unto the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth. None had escaped. And Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them. They fought among them in a, 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 found among them in abundance both riches and the dead bodies, precious jewels which they had stripped off of for themselves, more than they could carry away. There were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. You ever seen something like that in the Bible? And on the fourth day, they assembled themselves in the valley of Barakah. And you know what Barakah means? The valley of triumph. The valley of triumph. And here's where we see God's grandeur. Where God shows his people royal majesty. It says... The valley of Barakah until this day. And then when they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat, in the foreground with them to go again to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. No, it's not all tears and it's not all sorrow. It's not all giants and it's not all shadows. It's triumph. You remember that woeful day in, in Matthew chapter 20 when the rich young ruler had, had, had walked away sorrowful because he had great possessions and Jesus pronounced on him and most rich people the same thing. How hardly shall they that trust in riches enter in the kingdom? It's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and your theology can be whatever that you want it to be at that point. And then Peter spoke for everybody. And you know, usually Peter, you thought he wore peppermint socks. So he's always putting his foot in his mouth. But Peter finally, I, I thank God for Peter because he was stupid enough to ask the question I was afraid to ask. 
Peter basically said, well, what about us? I'm not as righteous as this guy was. And Lord, I would like to be rich. I'd like to have a little money stashed away. I got, I got temple guards following me. I've been excommunicated out of the temple. My name is on Pilate's hit list. I've been estranged from my family. We have left all to follow you. And Jesus didn't put a period there. He says, listen, come here close. All you boys, come close. I want you to hear what I got to say. No man, having given up houses and lands, mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, shall not receive a hundredfold in this life, caveat please, charismatics, with persecution. And in the next life to come, life evermore. A hundredfold. Basically, synopsis, clip, notes, version. Ladies and gentlemen, trust me when I say this. It pays to serve Jesus. 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 Not with the trinkets that pass away. Not with the temporal things of this world. But although Jesus does say, shall we see it in this life? But it pays to serve Jesus. Don't you ever stop in your pilgrimage. It is your job as a pilgrim to make progress. And you do it strength to strength. You do it from grace to grace. You do it from glory to glory. You do it from faith to faith. Because no far, no matter how far you've come, whether it's one step or 100 miles, you've come too far to turn back. It pays to serve Jesus. I try my best, try my best with all this in me, my family never see me in tears but I cry a lot I cry a lot I get attacked by people who have never met me I cry a lot in those quiet hours he says the same things to me that he says to you same same words Your sorrow will return to joy. I promise you, Dwight. I promise you. It may, it may look bad now, but just wait. Just wait. Part of your pilgrimage is glory to glory. Glory to glory. Sometimes it's a weight. Sometimes glory can be a weight. Trust me, one day, in this life, in this life, we go through the valleys. We go through those things that scare us sometimes. But the great thing about Jesus, he promised he would never leave us or forsake us. And he never has. 
He never has. He's always there. I love, uh, I'm working, I've been working on this sermon for years now, and it's called We Know. And you probably can guess it by now that the theme verse is, for we know that all things work together for good. To them who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Who wants to eat a pound of flour, straight pound of flour? Nobody? Who wants to eat 12 eggs raw in one sitting? Who's, who's willing to, to down right now, right here, right now, two full cups of sugar? Okay, nobody has a problem with a gallon of milk, right? You, try to, you ever tried to drink a gallon of milk? You kill yourself. How would you like it? if God turned up the heat of the sun to 375 degrees? What if he set a tornado into your life at speeds of 175 miles an hour and beat you up? You know what that is, right? It's a recipe for making a cake. And nobody ever complains about how good the cake tastes and what the cake had to go through do it. When it's finished, it's glory. It's glory. No godly mother has ever looked at a child and said, I wish you were dead because you gave me 22 hours of labor. The Bible says when a child is born, it's joy. And I've looked at women and say, how many children you got? Nine. You wanted to do that nine times? First time, okay, it's experience. After that, I'm going to tell my kid, you're an only child but the joy of childbirth. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say it this one last time, and then I'm running. It pays to serve Jesus. Don't you despair over the storms. Don't you despair over the valleys. It pays to serve him. Heavenly Father, help us with our perspective that it is the job of pilgrims to make progress, and that progress is fraught with valleys, Tears, terror, triumphs, trust, it's fraught with valleys. But we are called by God to go through them. And we can and we will because you are with us. And I remember the words of Charles Spurgeon who said, God is too good to be unkind, too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we can always trust his heart. May your people hold on to these truths found in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.